Good morning, West Meadows family. Over the next two weeks, I'm gonna be away on a family vacation, but we've lined up two awesome speakers for you. Next week, we're gonna have Greg Musselman with us again, and I know you're gonna appreciate hearing from him once more on an update from Voice of the Martyrs and his journeys with 100 Huntley Street. But this week, I wanna introduce you to somebody who perhaps many of you don't know, a man by the name of Sam Brakey. Now, Terry Elkins, our board chair, will give you a bit of a professional background on Sam in just a moment, but from a personal perspective, Sam is the person that I consider to be my pastor. During my sermon last week, I spoke about the importance of having godly mentors in our lives, and I feel so privileged to consider Sam one of those people in my life. Over the years that I've known Sam, I've come to have a deep appreciation for his spirit, for his strength and leadership, and for his unwavering commitment to God and to the Church of Jesus Christ. And I'm also very honored that Sam has agreed to be my ordination coach during this season of moving towards my ordination. And that's partially why he's here today, to help us understand the purpose and the beauty of this thing we refer to as ordination. Sam, I genuinely regret not being able to be there in person today, but I know that our West Meadows congregation will be blessed by your message that you'll deliver this day. And I believe that you also will be blessed by your encounter with the people of West Meadow and their authentic fellowship and their deep love for God as well. Good morning, everyone. Um, this spring, Pastor Mark uh, will be working through the process of ordination. Um, so um, based on what Pastor Mark had shared from, from himself, uh, to help us all prepare for this important occasion um, in the life of West Meadows, Reverend Sam Brakey uh, joins us today uh, to share a message on the purpose and the importance of ordination. Sam has served the church for more than 40 years as a pastor, as a pastor to pastors, a consultant and executive director uh, for many socially minded nonprofit uh, organizations, uh, including the Edmonton Do Likewise Society and the Mustard Seed. Most recently, Sam served as president for the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada. So with that, uh, I'd like to invite Sam to the stage. Well, good morning. Uh, it's my privilege to be here today, to walk where Mark walks with his big feet and his big body. Man, oh man, to just to step into those spots. Uh, it's a real privilege to be here. Um, I have uh, known Mark for quite a few years, and one time I found him in the penalty box at the Oilers rink. There he is. Look at that picture. Um, I, I think he got five minutes for looking imposing. Um, quite the guy, and there was a different version of that picture, and the guy that's beside Mark has the official NHL jacket on with the NHL tie. It's, it's the official penalty box there at the old arena. Um, I'm not sure if you had a chance yet to say to Mark happy birthday. I suspect Mark's going to be watching this very shortly, and I think we as a congregation gathered here today on the count of three, should yell out, Happy Birthday, Pastor Mark, because he had his birthday two days ago. So, one, two, three. Happy Birthday, Pastor Mark. Do you feel older now? There you go. We wanted to make sure you felt older. 
Imagine with me the following scene. A group of boys or girls are gathered on an outdoor rink somewhere in Canada this weekend. They are there because they love hockey. There's probably no coach, there's probably no referee, but before they drop the puck, there's something they have to do. They have to pick sides. It's a difficult arrangement. Everybody knows who's going to get picked first, and everybody has pretty, pretty much got a good understanding who's going to be picked last. But we go through that process again and again because we love the game. There it is. First of all, the best players get picked. It's not usually the person with the best helmet or the best stick or the best skates. It's a person with the fastest skating ability, the ability to, to shoot the puck in a very particular place. The first challenge that comes to those people is not to play the game itself, but to see how they would fit into the game as part of a team. Most of us are probably at the end of the list when it comes to being picked. Our hope is that the dog doesn't get picked before we do. Employee selection is something similar. Employees look at A-rated candidates. They receive the resumes. You've probably applied for numerous positions over the years. Even in today's environment, it's very difficult for someone to get your attention, for you to get someone else's attention. It's just the A candidates that seem to get picked. And then those A candidates only go to the places where they would know there were A companies to work for. The selection of a pastor can be interpreted this way as well. A congregation will form a search committee. That search committee will create a job description for the incoming pastor. They will receive applications for that pastorate. And they look through those and they sort of line them up and they say which ones have the best experience, which ones have the most potential, which ones have the gifts that would fit our particular context. Yet scripture reminds us that God chooses differently. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that Israel's first king, Saul, had wandered away from the holy calling that had been given to him. God told Samuel, the prophet, that he needed to go and to appoint the next king. And that king would be found in Bethlehem. God made it easy for Samuel. He said, in Bethlehem, you'll find Jesse, and Jesse will have a number of sons, and you will find in his family the one I intend to be the next king. So the proud father Jesse greeted Samuel with honor. He knew that he was in a place of prestige. He knew that the honor of having a family member selected to be king was not something that others would anticipate. And so he paraded seven of his sons into the tent to meet Samuel. There they were, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, from the oldest to the youngest, from the best looking and the strongest to the, those that still had a future before them. Every one of those went past Samuel and God said, no, that's not the one. Coming to the end of the group, Samuel said, do you not have any other children? 
I didn't do a very good accent there, but that's uh, <laughs> my, my attempt. All of those sons were paraded by, and then Jesse says, well, there's one more. He's out in the fields. He's the little guy. He's looking after the sheep. But none of those had meet, met God's approval before. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When David was paraded in, the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. God chooses his appointed leaders differently. As a denominational leader for the last 20 years or so, I have advised many congregations on how to choose a pastor. Very often the process is based upon skill and potential, but it needs to be wrapped in prayer, in discernment, and unforced unity before God. A person who is chosen to be a pastor is appointed according to God's timetable, according to God's qualifications, not what we would see to be the strengths of that person. As much as I know of this congregation, that has been the pastor selection process here, for which I'm grateful to God. Yet as this new year begins, you are entering a season of discernment around the ordination of Pastor Mark Diction, according to the protocol of the Alberta Baptist Association and the North American Baptist Conference. While pastoral selection speaks to one's fit for a particular role, ordination is an affirmation of a person's call to gospel ministry for a lifetime. Pastoral selection is about one's fit for a particular position or role, but ordination is an affirmation of a person's call to gospel ministry for a lifetime. Ordination is more than a rite of passage. It's an acknowledgement of the work that God has done and continues to do in a person's life. In the North American Baptist context, there's an, examine, an examination of the gifts that the person has and how they are being used. There's a recognition that this person is gifted before God. It involves the ongoing counsel of a mentor or an ordination coach. It involves the preparation of an ordination paper and a statement of beliefs. It requires a peer review of the Alberta Baptist Association Credentials Committee. And then if all of those things are successful, then the home church will convene an ordination council. If the candidate is successful, in this case, Pastor Mark is successful at that ordination council, then this church will be granted the authority to ordain Pastor Mark. Let's be clear, an ordinance is ordained not to a local congregation, but to gospel ministry for a lifetime. If a pastor is ordained, they can carry that credential with them from church to church, from ministry to ministry, 
for a lifetime unless that credential is taken away from them for some moral reason. Let's look for a few moments about what the scripture teaches us about our pastors. First of all, a pastor is a shepherd of people, but he or she is not in charge. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Pastors, in reality, are under shepherds of the good shepherd. Many years ago, I applied for a pastoral position in a church in Ontario where I grew up. And the job description that came to me was they were looking for an under-shepherd. And I had not heard that term before. What would that mean? What does it mean to be under-shepherd? You are under the good shepherd. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. A pastor is assigned a group of people for whom he or she will care and provide discipleship for. A pastor is a shepherd of people, but he or she is not in charge. Secondly, pastors are to be respected, but not worshipped. Years ago, I served a congregation in Peterborough, Ontario, and there were two elderly sisters in that congregation, Ruth and Dell. They were both never married, and they both loved the church that they were part of. After I was ordained, Ruth stopped calling me Sam. I always wanted to be called Sam. I don't want to be called pastor. I don't want to be called reverend. Thanks, Terry. But I'm just Sam, just plain Sam. And she started calling me reverend. And I could not understand that. I said, Ruth, please, Miss Smedmore, please, please call me Sam. She says, no, my father taught us that we needed to call the pastor by their title. It was a sense of their importance in the place of our congregation. A few weeks later, I was visiting her home on a pastoral visit. And I got to the door and I rang the doorbell. And there was no answer. I, I checked my paper calendar. And there was nothing in there that said that I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. So I rang the bell again. And then I knocked on the door as hard as I could, thinking, well, I guess she's forgotten, and, and I just want to make sure she knows that I gave it a good try. And she came to the door, and she says, oh, pastor, there's something wrong with my doorbell. So we came in, and we were sitting together and talking, and, and all of a sudden, it started to get cold in her home as we were sitting there. And I'm not a coffee drinker, and so I couldn't warm up the coffee, so I had my orange juice at the time, I think it was. And, and she said, oh, that's that furnace again. She says, it's, it's no longer working. And I said, I think I can figure that out. So I went down into her basement, and I got her furnace working. I went to the doorbell, took it apart, and noticed that there was a wire was loose and attached it again. From that point on, she called me Sam. A pastor is not to be worshipped or honoured. A pastor is called to be a servant. Scripture also teaches that people like Mark and myself shouldn't chase after spiritual roles or titles. They are to be entrusted to us, not pursued. Paul and Timothy, for instance, were appointed to roles by other leaders 
who saw in them the gifts that would allow them to meet the greater need. Likewise, Pastor Mark can't just phone up the chair of the board and say, hey, I think it's about time I got ordained. Hey, it's been tough going through COVID. Can you give me a little bit of a perk? Hey, 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 that's not the way it works. Wise leaders around a pastor initiate the process in response to their gifting and character. To be ordained is literally to be set apart for God's purpose, not our own. We see this term first in Exodus. Aaron and his sons were set apart for the service of the Lord. They were to be spiritual leaders of Israel for the rest of their lives. They weren't chosen because they were experts. They weren't chosen because they had more qualifications than people from the other 11 tribes. They were simply set apart. Possibly you got up this morning and you noticed that the pharmacist had prepared for you a little package of pills that were to be used today. In a blister pack, they were set apart for you for today. They were assigned. There was no qualification that was better about one pill over another. It was set apart, and pastors are set apart in a spiritual blister pack. But there are numerous examples in Scripture of people being set apart, some at birth, some later in life, some responded positively, and some did like Jonah did, tried to get away as far as they could from that call. The nation of Israel, in fact, was a nation that was set apart or chosen to reveal God's purpose to the world. Let's talk a little bit more now about the necessity of the response to the call that God gives us. I invite you to follow on the screen as we read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, or you can follow along in your Bibles in, in, in your pews. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little bit further from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from their boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. And because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came, and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, uh, just a second there. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. 
And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, they left everything, and they followed him. So permit me to take a slight detour here. So far we've been talking about Pastor Mark and we've been talking about ordination. But at this point I'd like to talk about the application of this passage to each one of us. Each one of us who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Each one of us who is examining what it means to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There are practical applications for each of us. If there's one thing that you take away from this sermon today, if there's only one point that you would remember, I'd like you to remember this. The call of God requires my response. Whoever you are, no matter how long you've been interested in this person, Jesus, no matter how long you have attended church, the call of God requires your response. Your response again and again and again. My response is required. Your response is required as we hear God's word today, as he speaks to us through this passage. The first thing is that we need to open our heart more to Jesus, to more of Jesus. We see this scene here. It's at the seashore. There's a large crowd of people listening to Jesus teach. There's a group of fishermen who've come in after a night of not catching fish, tired and dirty and discouraged. Right on the side of the sea that at times can be just like a, a, a big storm can come up and can crush people in boats. But we need to understand that the context of this passage goes back to the, the chapter before. We shouldn't overlook when Simon first met Jesus. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue that day, and after teaching in the synagogue, he went with a group of people to Simon's house. There they were enjoying what my interpretation is was some after-service potluck goodies. I love them. But concern was raised in the midst of that conversation about Simon's mother-in-law and her high fever. It had been increasing, and they were desperate for her healing. And somebody eventually asked Jesus if there was something that he could do. Jesus went to see her, and he bent down to her. He rebuked the fever and left, and it left her. And miraculously, we see that she got up and started serving food to those who were there. Can you imagine the astonishment? Simon might have been thinking, man, I got to get one of those squares before they're all gone. No. No, he was thinking, who is this Jesus? Who is this person that has drawn the attention of the crowds with his teaching? that has miraculously brought someone from the brink of fever. Who is this Jesus? As followers of Christ, as people who are interested in knowing more about him, what is it we need to hunger for in our relationship with him? 
Is there something more that we desire of him in our lives? Is there something more that, that we see of humility in our lives because of him? Is there something more that we need to know of his grace, of his salvation, of his equipping us, of, of his preparing us, of his fortifying us? Is there something more we need to hunger because we know Jesus? A disciple will hunger for more of what Jesus has for us. Secondly, we need to accept that Jesus must be our master even when it doesn't make sense. Later that evening, Simon and his buddies went back to their boats. They fished all night and caught nothing. I'm sure their conversation turned to this miraculous event that had happened in their presence. But there were no fish in their nests. There was nothing that gave them a sense of anticipation. The result, of course, was disappointing, but it was not unusual. They returned to shore, and they discovered there that Jesus was teaching again, and this time from the beach, and he asked if he could get into one of the boats. And Simon offered his boat. And then he said to Jesus, Master, with his reservations, when Jesus told him to go out into deep water, he said, Master. There are times when we find it hard to believe that Christ Jesus is still master. Master of our circumstances. Master of our destinations. Master of our relationships. Master of our dreams. And we wonder, where is Christ in this moment? But like Peter, Simon, who became Peter, we are called to trust that Jesus calls us to see him still as master. In those areas that are difficult in our lives, he wants to be master now. In those challenges we are facing, he wants us to know that he is Lord and master of all. Not just in our lives, in the lives of those around us, in the lives of, the, that, of those who are imprisoned in this world by many chains. Jesus is Lord and Master of all. Notice what happens here when the, these, these guys in the boats trust Jesus as their master. Their nets begin to tear with the volume of fish. They yell at their buddies as loud as they can to come and help them. Of course, they were in deep water, and they would have to scream and scream and scream to get the attention of the people on the shore. But they came, and their both boats were filled to the point of almost sinking. It was a remarkable outcome. They had seen Christ as master in spite of their circumstances. Notice Peter's response in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Simon came face to face with his shallow faith. And, and his sinful nature. 
at the foot of his master. We are called to see Christ as master, as disciples. We're called to never lose sight of our sinful nature. Never forget the place from which you have come. Never forget the work that God has done in you to bring you to this place today. Never forget those things that were taught you in the distant past that are surfacing again and those truths are being pressed upon you. Come back to those. Never forget how you have abandoned them. Nor should you underestimate the work that Christ still needs to do in you. Pastor Mark, Pastor Sam, Terry, Bob, whatever your name is, we are still called to remember and hold fast to the fact that we are sinners by nature and that Christ has more to do in us by his grace. Fourthly, as disciples, we are called to set aside our fear and anticipate more. Going on in verses 10 and 11, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Yikes! Can you imagine that? They got all these fish, and now Jesus says to them, oh man, you got that down fat. Now you're going to fish for people. Like, how do you hook a person? How do you, like all those things that are going through their minds, like, what, what would they be afraid of? Passing up on this windfall that was probably two or three months' income for a fisherman? Would they be passing up on the reputation that they had earned as being faithful people who tried to catch fish in spite of their circumstances, who always pulled through? Were they afraid that now, because they were around Jesus, that the authorities around them were going to attack them? But somehow, Jesus changed their perspective. They set aside their fear, and they began to anticipate that with Christ, there is more. They anticipated that there was more to see, more to experience with Christ, and if they lost everything, they still had more with Christ. What is it you're concerned most about losing today? What is it you're concerned most about losing if you take another step to follow Jesus? Christ desires that we would set aside those fears and follow him and anticipate more. And finally, we're encouraged by the words of this passage to be a disciple who makes disciples. Jesus said, do not be afraid for now you will catch men. My question for you this morning is, to whom are you spiritually connected? Who is fueling and encouraging your walk with Christ? These 31 fellas that gathered yesterday for breakfast and and to hear a message, were in a place where they were feeding what fuels them as disciples. There were people in that group that were nurturing each other and caring for each other and praying for each other. Who is fueling your walk with Christ? 
Are you just coming on a Sunday morning or listening online and having a one-way experience with a speaker or with God's word? God is inviting you to have a relationship with those who would foster and encourage your walk, to fuel your walk with Jesus Christ. Look for a disciple who is a disciple to be your disciple. And then look for those whom you can invest in for the sake of Christ's kingdom. We are being called forward together. Pastor Mark is going through an ordination process. And he's being challenged to examine what it means to serve and walk with Christ. Not all pastors will finish this process. Some will withdraw. Some will be told to wait till later. There are things you need to work on. In all of those things, people will be challenged to ask themselves questions. We each need to ask ourselves these questions as we respond to God. The worship team will be coming forward behind me, and I'd like to just share with you a few questions. What is God saying to you this morning about his call upon your life? His call of you is not based upon what you've accomplished so far. It's not based upon the people you are related to or the number of times you've been to a worship service. It is based upon being set apart for Christ's purpose for a lifetime. What purpose do you seek to allow your life to enter into? What is God saying to you about that call? How should you respond today to what he's inspiring in you? What he's challenging you to return to? How are you being challenged to step out in faith this morning? I invite you in silent prayer to reflect upon what God might be asking of you. Ask for strength to follow through. Ask for the courage to let go of that fear. To ask for a sense of anticipation. Now, as you have time over these next months to think of Pastor Mark and his potential ordination, I'd invite you to pray with him that he would know the affirmation of Christ and being set apart for a purpose for a lifetime. I would invite you to pray for him like we see in Simon, that he grew deeper as a disciple as he took steps of faith. That this would be a process for Mark of a confirmation of his calling and that the glory would go to Jesus Christ in these things. Let us pray. Father, we have gathered together in this place this morning with a sense of anticipation the sense of a new week before us, uh, a new opportunity to say, this is your week, Lord. This is your life that you've given us. This is your opportunity to be real in us. And yet, Father, in the midst of this, you have asked us to follow you, 
to take steps that confirm that we accept the calling that you have extended to us. Today, we want to see our hope in you, Christ Jesus, alone. May your Holy Spirit prod us and encourage us and challenge us to take those steps that you would seek for us. For in Christ alone, our hope is found.